Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we are joined here today by Paul Harkness. Paul, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, Dave. Thanks so much for having me with you today. It's an honor. I'm the CEO of Lantos Technologies, a company that manufactures balloon membranes for 3D ear scanning out of New Hampshire. And I joined the group in 2020. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Um, The first time I met you actually was like right when I joined uh, Oak Tree full-time and I was at, I think like a, it was like AAA or ADA or something like that. And I remember you were the CEO of Elite at the time. And uh, I remember you, my dad and I sat down and you were one of the first people I met. And so it's kind of funny. It's like we had this conversation and now things have come full circle to where here you are on the podcast, new company. We're going to get into that. But um, it's interesting where the people that you meet uh, you know, along the way, they just have a tendency to kind of come back around. And uh, so that's really cool. And I'm, I'm really happy to have you here. So I figured as we get started, can you share, I know you've been in this industry for a while, kind of like the genesis of Paul Harkness coming into this space. Um, where did you, where did you first uh, come into this industry from? Good memory, Dave. <laughs> I, I remember it as well. And it's, it's excellent how so many people stick in this industry. I think somehow in January, I will celebrate 28 years, my almost my entire adult career in hearing. So for a non-audiologist, I feel very blessed, but it's been a circuitous route to get to where we are. So it's funny what you said about your first full-time gig and, and remember meeting me. I remember when I started in the industry was at 3M, which in the nineties had a hearing project. It wasn't even a division. I grew up in St. Paul. So 3M was the Mecca. Had no idea that I'd end up in the hearing group. I started in human resources there in the nineties while I was still in high school. And lo and behold, found myself in the hearing project. I remember being at a AAA supporting a couple of outside reps and I was a customer service inside rep. And I remember walking to AAA in Fort Lauderdale with one of my one of my outside reps, and we couldn't get two feet before this person would get interrupted by someone he knew. And this happened, you know, all the way to the booth, which seemed like it it took three miles to get there, <laughs> right? And it's funny, I've said this to people over the last three, four, five years. I, I never understood how that person had all those connections, as you see now, even for yourself, and certainly for me. Over time, we become the, that person. Right. You build the relationships. I think that's what keeps a lot of us in this. And, and uh, I'm certainly proud to have built a, a long career doing this. But to answer your question, started at 3M, not because it was hearing, but because it was in my backyard. It was what I thought was the company I was going to work at. And ironically, they sold that project and all of the people in the late 90s to Resound Corporation at the time even before they were part of GN, I believe. Okay. And I remember, to be honest, feeling very bitter. I thought I would be a 3Mer forever for life. (laughs) And I didn't understand how they could sell us. So it felt like looking back, it was obviously an unbelievable blessing uh, to me and and helped kind of start the rest of my my career in the space. So you start at 3M, you wind up in this hearing uh, project division, by no, you know, like intent of your own, that's just sort of where you were placed. And then you start to become acclimated with this industry a bit. 3M then sells this division and the people within it to Resound. So then did you join Resound at this point? I did. I did. I went to that group and met some phenomenal people, some of which I continue to be close to, ironically enough, some that have been a big part of my current, my current employment situation. So yes, I always wanted to be on the outside and be traveling and and working with customers. I loved 
working with them over the phone. Of course, we didn't have Zoom back then right. <laughs> in the 90s, <laughs> but you built unbelievable relationships. And I would just say that I remember a, a, a rep that I worked with that had it was a, a veteran by then in the 90s out of Atlanta. Uh, Richard Woods was his name. And Richard, I remember him saying to me, Paul, if you stay in this space for two years, you'll never be able to leave. And I don't think that's true of everyone, but for many of us, even those of us that didn't go to school for audiology that, that went for business, it gets in your, it gets inside you, it gets inside your skin and your blood. And I think what it comes back to for me is it's a relationship business, both from the business level to the professionals, and of course, from the professionals to the patients. I, I know over time, as people have jumped into the industry from outside, many of them always referred to the fact that this is such a such an industry filled with help for for consumers and mm-hmm. and an industry that's making a difference and making an impact being that i was involved so young maybe i took that for granted over time but it's probably part of why i've stuck with it this long and i would also say that in all of my positions throughout my career even till today all of those years have been really in support of professionals hearing hearing healthcare professionals who have worked in a variety of settings, medical, private practice, university, not-for-profit, but all of all these people that really went to school and then practiced to make a difference for consumers and people with hearing loss. That's always grabbed me. And that the, the, these people are givers, Dave, right? So they're just, they're all about other people. Uh, that's always attracted me. And I'm sure that's what's kept me in this space. Yeah, that's really cool. I think uh, for those that are listening that you've met along the way, I'm sure they're saying, yeah, I remember meeting Paul back when he was either with GM or maybe it was when you were with, uh, or I'm sorry, with 3M uh, or or when you were with Resound. Um, so what were you doing when you were at Resound and then how long did you stay there and, and where did that then lead you next? So yes, when Resound purchased the group, I still was inside sales. And shortly thereafter, I had a brief a brief time at Bernafon Mako. That was the group that gave me my first chance to take an outside sales role. I was very grateful for that. Was about to move from the Midwest where I've always lived to the Carolinas to cover the East Coast when I was approached by Sonic Innovations when they started as a brand new hearing aid company in 1998. And they of course wanted me to stay in the Midwest so happy to have had that chapter, that journey, a startup company and a company that literally was starting from zero. Phenomenal family that we was, we was created there, both through leadership and the, and the team. Again, relationships that I still cherish and spent four years there carving out, creating brand new customer relationships that had never existed before. I think what was, what was telling for me as a young person in this space, all of my career had been on the East Coast supporting practices and professionals out there. I remember wondering, could I do the same thing in a different territory? And so to stay in the Midwest, even though it was my home, I just wasn't sure, but it just goes to show you the same kinds of people who went to school to help people hear better. Those same relationship people are all over the country, as you know by now. And so it was very blessed have gone through that experience in the Midwest with Sonic. I did that for four years. I feel like this uh, industry with the way in which a lot of the manufacturers are designed, their sales teams are very much uh, geographically driven. You have, you know, your outside sales team for X manufacturer. And so you have two reps all the way down to the state level where it's, you know, for a, a region or something like that. I mean, um, it's, you know, as you just said there, it sounds like there was some consistency of the types of people and the practices that you're working with and stuff like that. But what were some of the, I don't know, what were some of the differences in, uh, in your mind of, of working in different parts of the country, um, as a rep, I mean, what stands out to you during that phase of time where you're kind of bouncing around and working in different areas? It's just interesting to me because I think that, while things have continually moved more virtual and, you know, we have Zoom calls like this today, the fact remains that it is still very much a geographic driven business, not just in this industry, but a lot of different sales jobs that you have. And so I personally am just intrigued by this idea of 
what's it like when you're a sales rep like that working in a variety of different places in the country, I guess. It, it was a great experience. I, I, to your point, though, I, depending on the marketplace you're in, you will find different different groups that are more or less interested in something new. I think at the core, though, and so there were certainly certain bigger cities when you come in and they've never worked with you before in your brand new product, they're not always as interested to try something new. But I think that's a, a pretty common theme over time. Most of us that have been on the, on the manufacturing side or even the service side have worked hard to help influence people to try something new. I think that at the end of the day, though, most people are just looking to be helped so that they can help their patients. So if you can truly show them how your product, how your service is going to make it easier to run their business, but most importantly, make a difference for their patients, they'll generally give you a listening ear. Of course, as you are in this space longer and you build those connections, this is an industry full of that. They want to know if they can trust you because people that they know trust you. Right. So that has ultimately served me well. But you, as you know, Dave, we have to put our time in over the years to build to build up that network. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also it's as a small industry, um, your reputation really is the thing that you know um, that that precedes you, and that you have to have a. Um, a good standing. And, and so I think that you can either tarnish your reputation really easily, or you can have a good reputation that will take you a lot of different places. And that seems to be what you have in spades is that um, you've, you've sort of gone into lots of different roles. You've been in this industry for a long time. And because of that, it's allowed for you to build a lot of long lasting and meaningful relationships that you've been able to leverage in each and every role um, in all the different companies that you've been in. So let's continue on. So you were at uh, Bernafon, uh, or I'm sorry, in Sonic uh, for four years. And then what, what then did you do? And what was roughly the timeline here? What year was this? Sure, sure. Uh, interestingly enough, after four years at Sonic and had a, had a great ride there, I was recruited back to Resound. Now, now they were GN Resound, of course, and now it was the time for me to take over the same territory, but take over for Resound, who had a much bigger market share and much bigger name in my local space here. So this was 2002 to 2004. Again, timing is everything, but that happened to be the time when they were expanding their sales force, and they had just come out with the Resound Air product, which as everyone knows, even when as the competitors, they didn't want to admit it. It was really a, a first of its kind technology. So had a phenomenal, busy experience uh, over those two years there and met some, met some great people. And Resound had a great, uh, had some really great growth, 02 to 04, as they, as they grew the, the group. I just had a few episodes ago, I had Laurel Christensen on, yes. who's the chief audiology officer there. And we had a fantastic discussion and we talked about the Resound Air. That really was a game-changing technology. And I feel like that time, and, and I'll be interesting to kind of get your thoughts on this. So like that 2000 to 2004, in the same way that 2014 was a really big year when Resound once again changed the game with the Resound Links and the first made for iPhone hearing aid. You kind of look back on that and like that's a that is a, a pretty monumental moment in the history of the devices. 2002 and 2004 are similar in that regard, where you know with the Rick hearing aids um, started to become introduced, and then you had just the advent of digital uh, devices as well. I think that's just a very interesting time frame because you were in the space for the 90s. Where, you know, when I was talking with Laurel, it's like the big game change in the early 90s going to Mead Killian and Edemotic was, uh, you know, a lot of like the K-AMP. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's fascinating to learn about the various breakthroughs in the in the technology. I'm curious to get your thoughts of uh, having kind of like lived through some of that and been in the industry and working in different uh, facets of the industry. Um, what really stands out in your mind with uh, with with that regard? Because it just triggered in my mind when we were talking about Resound and Laurel. Um, I loved that conversation. So I'm curious to kind of build on it with you a little bit here is to just hear about 
what, what stands out to you? And like, uh, what was that like being in the industry at that time? Did it feel momentous and like, man, this is a, this is a really, really big deal. Yes. I, it's, it's, I feel when I look back, mostly fortunate. So if I start back at 3M, those that don't recall 3M as much, they built an unbelievable audiology team, professional services, people that are well-known out there. They created a product way back in the 90s that had eight memories. Now, we can debate whether they really, if, whether eight memories were needed, but the point being, way ahead of its time, I, I think, as importantly, they, they introduced data logging, which today is, is a no-brainer, but in the early 90s or mid-90s was not something everyone had to, to get a better read on how are people, are they, or how are they actually using and wearing the device? So right. having been there, there's some belief that the Resound Air, by the way, came from some Genesis tied to 3M at Resound later. So I, I have to, happened to have been, it just happened to have been in the right place at the right time several, several times. I, I think that I remember early in my career too, even as an outside and an inside rep, selling both analog and digital technology. And that seems preposterous now, but that was a real thing. <laughs> Options. And, and then I remember the, the shift to Sonic. Sonic was a startup manufacturer and they only, which sounds crazy now, in 1998, they only manufactured digital hearing aids. That was a big deal in 1998, which is hard to believe looking back now. I, I think that I've just been fortunate to be with several companies who have brought new technologies to bear or new algorithms and fitting philosophies to bear. And it's been fantastic to be able to represent a lot of those companies and bring that technology to practices as well as patients everywhere. Uh, of course, I was around when Widex and Oticon had the first digital products and watching all the rest of the companies scramble. Uh, I was at Sonic when Starkey started to finally move into digital uh, and, and eventually had their own digital product in Destiny in 2006, I believe that was. And I had moved from Resound in 04 to Starkey when Destiny came out. So again, that was a phenomenal time at Starkey, really jumped them forward and, and created a, you know, a new roadmap for them in the digital space as well. And, and I had a phenomenal five years there too. The move to Starkey from Resound was a big one for me because that was when I first moved in 04 into a leadership position, a leadership of people. Awesome. Position. So, so was it like a sales lead kind of role? Were you managing a team of, of uh, salespeople? Is that what it was? So it was a regional director position. So in, in, in a sense, yes. I remember having the conversation with Brandon, who I have great respect for still, uh, who hired me back in 04. I had always carried my own bag, had my own territory, worked with an inside rep, felt like I had a little bit of control of my own destiny. And so to think about taking a leadership position in 2004, uh, I always felt like that's something that people older than me did. Yeah. Wasn't sure that I wanted to do that. And I'm grateful, really grateful because that opened up a whole new world for me. I, I absolutely believe in my heart that I'm a team builder, that I am someone who is constantly trying to identify the right people, the right culture fits and help develop them. And that started that those I that that opening of my eyes started in 2004 when I joined Starkey to lead the Midwest region. That's awesome. Okay, so you're at Starkey then you said for 5 years. Um yes. and that's when you then started to take on the leadership role. Uh you headed up a a regional sales team. Um and so with that time, what really stands out to you other than that was the first time when you started to get to manage people and it sounds like you kind of found your true calling there. Um, but in the, the Starkey days, um, what comes to mind there from that period of time? That's another interesting period. Like you said, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like in today's times in 2021, we're almost spoiled because all of the technology is so good today that we sort of forget that. Um, and I mean, I was, I wasn't really exposed to this industry, so I'm kind of just speaking, um, you know, just based on what I've heard, but it's like, uh, some of these advancements, whether it was like the first digital hearing aid for X manufacturer, 
Um, it was the first time that some of these providers were exposed to a real step change in the technology. And I find that to just be so fascinating where you get into this work with altruistic intentions, you want to help as many people. And I have to just imagine what a profound feeling that must have been when you're dispensing one level of technology. And then suddenly over the course of a couple of years, the technology dramatically improves. And, uh, and so I feel like that gives you more meaning. It's like, man, I can just provide even more of a tangible benefit. And then, so you then go one step removed to that, to those that are selling into and mm-hmm. making these, um, uh, making the providers aware of the, the new technology that exists. I mean, it just seems to me that we're, um, it's, it's so kind of far removed now because again, the technology is so good and, and there's now new challenges and there's new aspirations, but the table stakes are so high today that like most of what you can buy from a, from a provider is, is like light, like light years ahead of what we had in the early two thousands. And, and I feel like that's gotta have been pretty cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course it seems to be going at a different pace and speed than <laughs> yeah. did way back then too. Right. But to answer your question, the time at Starkey was, was game-changing for me. They, they took a chance on me that I could lead people that want to do it and could be successful at it. And it, it has sparked the rest of my, my career. Uh, I, I, I just believe all businesses, doesn't matter if you're a manufacturer, you run your own practice, you work at an ENT, this, the ultimate success, whether it's even in our space or not, is, is around the people that, that make it up. And I'm certainly a poster child in, in belief of that. And Starkey gave me that first chance. It, it allowed me to take a, a, a region in the Midwest, help kind of recraft it. Uh, of course, in the middle of that time, as I said, a digital product of, it, of their own came out. It was a huge deal. 2016 was a year I'll never forget. Or 2006, I'm sorry, it was a year I'll never forget. And of course, AAA happened to be in Minneapolis. So that worked out perfect that year as well for for Starkey. Um, but, you know, I, I think that for the first time, you know, it, it became, I shouldn't say for the first time, but it became clear to me as well as, as part of the, the Starkey group and the Starkey family at that time, what Starkey did so well and is still better than anyone at is, is uh, hosting, hosting people live. Whether it was the regional groups up in Minneapolis, whether it's a, it's the Vegas events, whether it's their their expo now. They're just so good about, about hosting customer events and helping people get to know their products. So have enormous respect for them in that time. Really enjoyed my five years there. Well, I was going to say, uh, and there might be a stint in between where I feel like I really saw this on full display, which is where I met you when you were at Elite. So I don't know, uh, did, did you then move from Starkey directly to Elite or was there a what, what happened, I guess, after you left Starkey? Yeah, it's exactly what happened. So ironically enough, when I left Starkey to go to Elite, I can say it now, they weren't particularly pleased with me when I, when I made that move. <laughs> At the time, Starkey was not a supplier to Elite. Okay. But you know, over time, a couple of years later, a year and a half later, we became partners again. And I, I today still very much value uh, the the connections and the relationship there. So yeah, I took the position to run Elite Hearing Network in 2009. And that just was an exponential shift in terms of size and scope and reach. I went from a region or helping some national account groups to helping run, have, helping lead a team to cover the country with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Elite members. Uh, private practices, um, ENTs, not-for-profits all around the country that wanted to be part of a membership group to gain some advantages for doing that. And so that was that was my longest stint. I was there eight and a half years and really, really proud of what we accomplished uh, over that time. Yeah, that was... Um... Elite was really cool. Uh, that and and I say was because it has since um, Amplifon has disbanded it. It's no more. Um, relatively recent happened this year. Um, but when I when I came into the industry and I met you, which was back in either 2016 or 2017, 
Um, Elite was pretty famous for having these amazing, and, that, and the reason I kind of segued your time at Starkey was like, you you say that one of the things they did really well were these in-person events. Well, clearly that rubbed off on you and the mindset that must have been permeating within Elite, because I can think of no better place that had some of the best in-person events, some of the coolest locations. Um, but the the thing about that, and again, I I I think that the pandemic has actually made this even more realized in my mind, Mm -hmm. which is that, yes, it's awesome that we live in a time where you can have Zoom calls and it's not necessary anymore, probably to be on the road every week. And, you know, but I do still think that in-person events, particularly like networking events where you have the opportunity to see people in person and and build those relationships face to face is more valuable than ever. And so I feel like, uh, in a, in a way you were kind of like ahead of your time with that, with, with that whole thing, because it was, you know, there were, there was a lot of value that extended beyond that, but I know that like a, a lot of the value really was in those annual summits and being able to actually form partnerships and have like really concrete conversations in a place where everybody was really excited and happy to be. The energy was just really high. Yes. Yes. Uh, again, sounds like a, sound like a broken record. I've been so blessed, <laughs> Dave. I mean, each of these steps on my journey have been phenomenal. Uh, the elite journey, even, even more special because of the scope and scale and the number of people we impacted. But to your point, 2009 to 2017, I believe, was was a stretch of time where we just filled a perfect need. We, we were perfect at filling a need that practitioners had out there. Yeah, Most practice owners out there who had their dream of having their own shingle in their market, which is fantastic. Most of those people have an office or two. Right. There are certainly groups out there that have many more than that, but most practices out there are very local. Yeah. And elite served that group very, very well, gave them a place to cut to, to, uh, to join and become part of where it didn't matter how big or small they were. It, uh, it also helped that we had over time, we built it out where we were one of the first uh, of our kind to have every single hearing aid manufacturer that you could purchase through us. That seems like a foregone conclusion now. I think we added Widex and then Starkey and then Oticon in 2015, 14. And that was the first first or second of its kind. So that allowed people to, to, to come together, feel like they could learn and gain from each other in a non-conflicting or, or uh, you know, in, a, in a, a non-competitive way. And then, of course, we, as you say, we took the annual event, which when I joined in 2009 was about 150 people large to edit to at our height for two or three or four years, we had a thousand people yeah. at our big events every year. Again, we, we offered phenomenal education, but it was really about people coming together and learning from each other and people still rave about those events. So I'm really, I'm really proud of that. The other thing I would just mention though, during that time, which again, was not typical. You could say maybe it's not typical even today. Um, I worked really hard with the team and with Amplifone to make sure that we had really constructive, collaborative relationships with the hearing aid manufacturers. Yeah, it, it really mattered to us that we tried to be partners, and we we know that that isn't always the case with with groups of that type anymore. So I think that the landscape has changed. It's it's become a little bit more difficult, but. Those were magical years from 2009 to 2017 while I was there. And while it's disappointing, the decision that was made, I think it doesn't, it doesn't um, do anything but validate how we built it uh, very, very purposefully with the right people, with the right culture. And I think the culture that we built within the team at Elite extended to the membership, which is a really proud achievement for us. Yeah, I think the, um, I, I really kind of glommed on to the portion that you just described about the, the uh, people being able to talk amongst themselves and share ideas. Um, again, it's another one of these things that I, I do fear a little bit about uh, the sort of the byproduct of the pandemic is um, 
I mean, again, you have virtual forums and stuff like that, but nothing really beats being in person and being able to just kind of casually talk through some of the challenges that that you might be encountering um, and solving these things collectively and just borrowing ideas from one another is incredible for anybody that owns a business or, or is in a, a position where they're confronting a very specific set of issues that only another private practitioner would really empathize with and understand. Um, that's so powerful. And, and so I do think that there is a little bit of a void right now. It'll be interesting to see how that is filled. Um, but I, I always thought that that, and I think it's again, become more apparent as time's gone on is like, you kind of need some type of forum where it brings people together. Cause I'm just not sure how conducive the online forum really is to that. And then the other, I guess, alternative would be these smaller meetups, which are the, those are important too. But I think that there's probably just, like you said, there's a ton of people out there that they own one, maybe two locations. Um, I kind of wonder often, like how many of those people are just completely absent from a lot of this discussion today. And, and that seemed to be kind of the sweet spot that you filled was you were big enough to where you really could kind of cater to a lot of the mom and pop shops that were out there. Absolutely. We gave them purchasing power that they wouldn't get at the time that's shifted some, but at the time in 2009, it allowed smaller groups to get great pricing, regardless of how many units from a particular manufacturer that they purchased. We gave them access to other services. We gave them an incredible savings plan where they could help build for, for retirement. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, we allowed them to have a place to come and be a part of something, regardless of their size. I think the other reason that Elite really worked, Dave, is that it truly was not tied in ownership to any hearing manufacturer. Right. And so that was a big calling card for us that we really started at the practice. We didn't you know, we certainly had partnerships with the manufacturers. We supported them in their efforts. But at the end of the day, we would support them at the at the non-denominational level, if you will. So yeah. it, it was a it was a great time. I do think there are groups out there trying to create that same yeah. kind of forum, even at, whether they're a buying group or not, trying to give people the chance to come together and gain from each other, trying to create smaller groups that are growing where their voice can be bigger than just just themselves. So I, I think that's awesome. I don't think the desire has changed. Right, exactly. Practitioners. So it'll just have to shift in terms of who is out there to help support them. And because of that, some groups have been kind of created from within. And okay. you know, I, I have no doubt that they'll be successful. So this then brings us to Lantos. Um, and I want to get into this. I really appreciate you giving the backstory. Um, as I continue to do more and more of these discussions, the backstory informs so much of, I think, the way I see the industry based on, you know, those that came before me, the way in which they helped to shape the market. So I just, I think it's really awesome to hear this. And, um, but I do want to give you a chance now to really speak to Lantos, because I think this is a really interesting product and a concept. And you had said kind of earlier in the conversation, you know, um, you want, uh, as a private practice, you want to really stand out in your market. And I've talked about this a lot on the podcast lately, but the thing that gets me most excited is that there are a myriad of new things that are starting to emerge that cater to this desire. And, uh, you know, there's lots of different avenues that you can go. A lot of it boils down to, are you willing to kind of take it upon yourself to, to do it? Um, but I think Lantos is another really interesting one that it gives you an opportunity to impress the customer. And then there's a lot of really exciting secondary benefits that come with it. So why don't you just kind of share like your pitch of what Lantos is, and then we can kind of start to get into the details of the company. Perfect. Thanks, Dave. To your point, as we wrap up the backdrop, I think to set up the Lantos story, I had to come to grips at some point with the fact that uh, a kid from St. Paul who I didn't think was a risk taker really has been exactly that. <laughs> Whether it was even, even jumping to Bernafon as a small manufacturer at the time, and I'm going to move across the country, which didn't end up happening, jumping to Sonic as a startup, taking over a region, 
that was underperforming at Starkey, uh, but certainly jumping into Elite, which for most people over many years became a really big giant and a really impressive organization. But when I joined it, was anything but. It still had a startup-ish feel. So that leads to why would I be involved with Lantos? And of course, I had a little bit of time with the Odd Connects crew as well in between. And I bring them up only again because they're just desperately trying to trying to help the private practitioners out there. You set themselves apart. You know, they have phenomenal training programs, phenomenal content, and really appreciate what the founders of that company continue to do as well. Um, but I think it leads to the, the same the same point here. All of those all of those summits that we had at Elite, um, all of the, the work that the manufacturers do beyond product, we speak, we've been speaking for a decade, Dave, or more around how do we help practices differentiate themselves? Sometimes that's through a hearing aid, a revolution, as you mentioned. I've lived through many of them, thank goodness already, and it's really made a huge difference. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's conceptual. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's an idea, but I think what has been the case for a lot of practices, I think they'd admit it, is that implement, implementation is the tough part. They might like an idea, but it gets really tough. And so it's the easier things to implement are more tangible is what I say. So the reality is, you know, we manufacture a 3D ear scanner that utilizes a proprietary balloon membrane. And so when we talk about making practices, giving them an actual weapon to set themselves apart, we, we think it's something that they can literally hold in their hands and the patient can experience like they haven't experienced before through the other processes that they've been through. But I, I laud the other groups. As you say, it's a, it's a phenomenal time in our space around differentiation. When you think about groups like CogniView, or you think about HearView, uh, there's many others, right? We're, we're all, most of us are working hard to try to set the practitioner apart. And, and like many of those, we Atlantis have chosen the professional channel. We want to give the professionals a, a further reason for patients to feel like they are the right person to go see for anything related to their, to their, to their hearing. And in our case, to their listening. Yeah. So, um, can you describe the process? So it's a 3d ear scanner, proprietary balloon membrane. How long does it take? Um, I know that there's a, a bit of a learning curve for providers, which again, though, I think speaks to how this can be a weapon. Um, because if you, if you take it upon yourself to a, adopt these kinds of new weapons that are at your disposal, the, uh, fellow, the other avenues of access to whatever you're selling, um, they might not be as equipped or have the interest to have that, like to, to do that learning curve. So walk us through a little bit about like sure. what this actually looks like from a practical implementation standpoint. Sure. So to scan a patient, once you're proficient, literally takes 60 to 90 seconds per ear. So it's quite quick. More important than that is the patient can go through the process with you. They can witness it on a big screen and it's very comfortable. The balloon membrane that's proprietary to us, or the only one that does it, really forms a, as a proxy to what an EMI, a traditional EMI would be without the, um, the discomfort, without the worry from the practitioner of it going too deep. It's, it's, uh, it's very safe, it's very comfortable. And the, the, but as you said, it takes some time to get to become proficient. So we have a, a, a big focus on our training and, and uh, development group. And it's a pretty significant uh, commitment to jump in. You know, we want definitely people who are trailblazers that are early adopters that want to make a difference, that want to stand out. And those people can pick this up, but it takes a couple of three hour sessions per scan user, followed by some, activ some, some activity where they actually do scanning. And if they do a certain number of scans in a given amount of time, it'll be like riding a bike. They'll get really good at it and they'll stay good at it. But we just believe that a patient going through this experience at your office, Dave, for instance, is going to feel differently 
more positively about working at your place and, and working with your team. They're, you already give them reasons and practices already give them reasons. But as we try to set ourselves apart versus less professional groups or less customized groups where they can get hearing health care or, or places where they can go take care of it themselves, which none of us who've been doing this a long time believe is the right answer, this gives patients a real reason to feel like, I want to give that great Google review. Right. I want to, I'm definitely going to give you a stronger NPS score. We've done studies along these lines and it really does help us fix the disconnect going on. And that I believe is true in our, in our industry, whereas 80% of patients walk into the practice expecting something custom and you, you and I know 15 or 20% leave with it. And I'm not saying a custom hearing aid. I'm just saying something custom, right? Yeah. So how do we fix that disconnect? Well, I think, our technology solves that completely. Yeah, I think that's interesting about uh, you know that that desire to have. I think it's like it even transcends that to. I think people want like uh, experiential things, like even even in a healthcare setting like that. Um, the difference between uh, you know something that might be the status quo and something that really goes above and beyond and, and gives you that feeling of this is pretty neat or that I'm getting some premium, um, I think goes a really long way. Uh, especially again, when we're thinking about this through the lens of like, how do you differentiate in a a market that continues to become more and more crowded? There's been a lot of different suggestions on this podcast, and this is a, a very different one that I think is really interesting, which is, you know, base the basis of the experience more or less. And so you take the scan, you know, and if you're proficient, like you said, it should only take a matter of a few minutes. Um, what then happens? I mean, are sure. you, yeah, can walk us through that portion. Sure, sure. And that's the beauty for not just the practitioner and the patient, but also for the hearing manufacturer. So a customer of ours will scan a patient. They then upload the scan immediately to the Lantos cloud and in the cloud, all Lantos ready manufacturers are available for an electronic order to be, to be sent off. It's, it's incredible. So, yeah. so we've worked very hard over the last year to make sure that all the manufacturers are on board with us and are accepting scans, are building with them, are having success with them because we know practices everywhere want to work with all the manufacturers. And we didn't want to, we didn't want to, to have to have practices choose to work with us because of the kinds of manufacturers that they work with. So very, very simple. We look at Atlantos as having three groups of customers. We've got the customer who actually does the scanning for the patient. Of course, we believe the consumers by extension, but we also really need to serve properly the, the hearing aid manufacturers and the mold makers so that they can, they have the ability to be successful in building with our scans. But if you imagine if the digital workflow is true, and those orders show up faster. They don't have to go through the mail. People don't have to open open said mail. And the process of, of modeling and building can happen quickly. Uh, again, we also believe that, that accuracy will be improved. So first-time fits and remake rates should be reduced. And if all those things are true, there's, there's enormous cost savings uh, and, and, and time savings from the, the hearing and manufacturers as well. But at the end of the day, the people that we were focused on are professionals, Dave. They are doing what they do because they are in service to patients. And at the end of the day, we believe our technology can absolutely accentuate the patient experience like few other things can. And that's what excites me. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so for those that would say, well, I used to do a lot of impressions um, back before I started to sell almost entirely Rick hearing aids, what would you say to that? Where do you see the opportunity here for Lantos for practices that might be skewed heavily toward receiver in the canal type hearing aids? Yeah, I'm thrilled about receiver in the canal hearing aids. (laughs) To to be clear, I think it's important to dispel the myth that scanning, 3D scanning from us or, or our competitor is all about custom hearing aids. Now, the hearing aid manufacturers would prefer to to sell and manufacture most of mostly custom devices. Um, it's likely not a genie that can be put back in the bottle very well. 
And certainly you can use our scans to, to build those devices. However, if we want people to get good at scanning, they have to do it every day. And what they sell every day are receiver in the canal devices. So it's my belief that we should be standard of care. 3D scanning should be standard of care, which means that why is it that most of these RIC devices are being, are being provided to patients with a non-custom uh, delivery, mm. delivery mechanism. And I would just say this, I, I, it surprises me. We've been doing this a long time, Dave, but having worked on the hearing and manufacturer side, I know the money that is spent, the tens of millions of dollars that is spent to customize an algorithm to perfectly match someone's individual hearing loss. I fully respect it. We've mm -hmm. talked about some of those leaps forward in yep. technology. And yet after all of that, we deliver the sound that's customized for their loss with a non-custom device yep. or list, earpiece. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, it actually has all kinds of audiological benefits to have it have it customized, as you as you might imagine. But um, as as we talk to people around the country, manufacturers and customers alike, everyone really believes that this is what we should be doing. That this can separate us versus other places that people can get their hearing aids with the same three size fits a few domes, right? Not, uh, not a non-custom dome. Uh, so we, we believe this is absolutely the right thing and people agree with us. I think the, the new Lantos needed to come out with a business model that would help make it easier to jump on board. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? The new Lantos? Absolutely. So <laughs> Lantos was born in 2010 via some technology invented at MIT. Ironically enough, also applied to the dental space. They got there a little quicker than we did, but regardless, a lot of time and energy and money was invested to help create what is now our scanner. Very grateful for all the work that was done. It did take them nine years before they had a scanner that could be sellable. Wow. So didn't come to market officially until 2019. And then in 2020, middle of the middle of that year, in the middle of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. The largest investors walked away from the company, didn't want to put any more in, and the company went to an asset sale. So as tough a story as that is, it allowed us to become the new Lantos. One of the smaller uh, initial investors decided to purchase the assets for a great price and asked me to lead a, a very industry experienced team to bring it back to market in a way that practices could actually jump on board and adopt. And that's been our experience since coming back to the space in late February. We found with our new business model that, that people believed it was the right thing and, and are signing up to get involved. And we've been overwhelmed with the, uh, with the response. Yeah, I was going to say like, uh, so I know that you've been really successful here kind of from the jump of coming on board in helping to implement this new business model, which is more along the lines of like the razor and the blade, um, you know, selling yes. the membranes and basically loaning out the scanners. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong with that, but that's how I interpret it. Um, but what's exciting, and, and I would be really curious to hear this is, as you've got more of these in the market, what are some of the, what's the feedback that you've gotten, whether it's that was expected and have there been unexpected feedback that's like, wow, that's really interesting. We hadn't, we hadn't even thought about that. It's, it's learning every day, Dave, right? And to your point, to, to make the business model clear, we decided to go away from selling scanners. In fact, we don't sell scanners at all anymore. That was the original plan of the original company. We actually place our scanners with practices that want to work with us. And in exchange for doing that at no charge, they agreed to buy our one per one membrane per patient membranes. We, we ship those to them uh, on a monthly basis. And that's our business model. Very simple, very uh, pun intended, I guess, customized practice to practice <laughs> on, on what that looks like. But the only way it really will work between us and the customer is if they're gonna use it regularly. So what have we learned? We've learned a ton of things, lots and lots of interest, but just like in every other, every other stop along my journey, Dave, you're trying to help influence change. Yeah. And certainly we're doing that here too. The great news is we're trying to influence people that want to be a part of the change, but our, the, the big shift is around helping people 
take what they believe is the next step and helping them adapt it to their, their workflow. We're very habit-driven people. We have a, a way of doing things. And so trying to bring something new, even though, even though we believe it's going to make a big difference, uh, takes, takes some work. The practices, I also think it's, it comes down to proficiency and confidence. So the groups that do enough scans to get good at it will then look at the scanner on its, in its dedicated place in their office as a weapon to set themselves apart. If they don't do enough scans to get really good at it, they get, they're a little bit more hesitant. But this is no surprise. So we're putting a lot of effort around practice implementation, helping them understand how to make it work well in their office, help them get full buy-in from their full team, and then help tell their, their marketplace about this weapon. So a lot of those are the key learnings that we're going through. The other, the other thing which we, we really bet on was that this business, if we were going to be successful, required people with industry experience in all customer-facing positions. So some of those people that helped me build the elite hearing network at its, at its, in its heyday have joined me here. Some other people as well. We've got some key audiologists on board helping us with training and product management. And we now have, and what that's brought with us is all the relationships that we've had with people that are helping become bought in as early adopters and helping influence the rest of the market. So it, it's, been, it's been really exciting. Um, I, I truly believe, you know, if you talk to most practices and you ask them what their biggest concern is, it's about new patients. How do we get more new patients? Underneath that is really the fact that, as you've seen in the, in the journals, the fact that in many cases, half of the patients we have make a different decision to go somewhere else the next time. So if we cut it down to that brass tax, if we can provide a tangible tool that allows and helps people to retain their patients better because of the experience that they give through 3D scanning, we think that's really, really valuable as you might imagine. So, you know, you and I've talked before about my vision for where this could really go. So if I can jump there, I would just say the big picture for me isn't just scan every patient which I think is important. But once you, once you scan a patient and you have their digital geometry, they're very less likely to go somewhere else that didn't provide that scan and don't have that on file. Uh, they're like very much, in my opinion, more likely to come back your way. But if we're honest and we think of ourselves as, as ear centers of, of influence in our marketplaces, uh, I, my belief with, the, with our technology is that anything people put in their ears can be customized with one scan. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, your patient that puts more things in their ears than just a hearing aid has a broad group of family and friends that may not have a hearing loss, but also put lots of customized things in their ears. So this is you know, the, the big picture thinker practice owners out there. This is where I think that this can go for them and they can really weaponize the technology to set them apart from big box online, non-custom delivery mechanisms that, that are very prevalent. I mean, I think that uh, what's so exciting about that thought is I like what you said, where you're kind of like the ear center. And, you know, again, this has been sort of a theme, which is whether you want to double down on the audiology space and you want to specialize and you want to elevate your area of expertise, or if you want to cast a wider net, which would tie into things like the OTC hearing aids and um, and then kind of what you're describing here, where it's like looking at it as, you know, your, your total addressable market is the fact that every single person for the most part has two ears. So you, you know, you can think of everybody as, as a potential customer. And I think to your point, as you look at the next five years of this space, I think it's inevitable that we're going to just continue to wear things like AirPods in our ears and we're all going to be wired into, you know, our digital landscapes for longer periods of time. And, and so I think it does sort of present an opportunity of like, you know, you can get people into your, um, as the ear center of your community, have them in there, get their ears scanned, have a conversation with them doesn't have to even pertain to hearing loss at all, but it can be more around this idea of customization. And it can be something where it's, I'm tailoring something to you 
in a world full of commodity experiences, those are going to be the things that I would imagine will set you apart is this feels special to me. And, uh, and I feel like, you know, whether it's creating molds that you put onto AirPods or, you know, looking at, um, you, you know, you, how, how often do you have, yeah, how often do you have uh, Zoom calls throughout the day? You know, just think about how, how much further out from here, this will yes. just progress. So it yes. seems yes. like there's some serious like viability to what you're describing. Not to mention all of the, of course, audiometric advantages to it fitting properly. Right. And the sound being sent the correct way and needing less volume and not mm-hmm. dealing with feedback. There's That's all a great kinds point. of those actual benefits, right? But, but all, at the end of the day, it's about helping these practices set themselves apart and to kind of come full circle on the backdrop of, of my journey. And I'm grateful for you letting me share it, Dave. As I mentioned, I've, I've spent my entire career supporting practice owners out there and, and practice professionals, you know, wherever they may be found. And five years out for Lantos, who knows? You can imagine there's a, there are a lot of other applications for what we do, I'm sure, in the bigger, the bigger consumer space out there. But the reality was, and it's what I told our investors when we went, became the new company, was we really, we really needed to place our foundation deeply in the, in the hearing space with the hearing professionals that I've trusted for a very long time and who have trusted me. And so I'm really proud to see the reaction we've received around our new business model. And now it's just really a matter of helping people find the right recipe to help them make it a, a really firm part of their business. Look forward to continuing to make that happen. There's no doubt that it will. I think, again, reimagining it away from only being for custom hearing aids and being hyper-focused on custom Rick molds, which by the way, the VA does, who buys more hearing aids than anyone, mm-hmm. any group on the planet. Uh, by contract, they provide custom custom Rick tips. So why don't the rest of us do the same is my argument. And uh, and we we think we're giving the, we're, we're, we're provi- providing the means to, to help people deliver that in a very yeah. custom way. Really, really cool story, Paul. I appreciate you coming on. Um, it was great to have you sort of take us from the start. Um, you know, I just find it to be really neat how you obviously kept uh, pushing yourself um, it, throughout your career. And it's really cool that you've stayed in this industry and you've had a lot of like meaningful contributions along the way. You're extremely well known and respected within the industry. Um, and uh, so to have you on and, and share all that and kind of paint the vision of where you see, uh, you know, from your perspective of how this thing's going to evolve over the next few years. And, and again, I love this idea of like, let's, uh, as an industry, let's empower the audiologists, you know, the hearing professionals in any way that we can, um, because, as industry people, like our businesses are very much dependent on the professionals. And so I think championing them in as many ways as possible is uh, it bodes well for, for all of us. Dave, your, your, your kind words are appreciated. Uh, I would tell you, I've been very fortunate. I've mentioned that many times, but you know, what's, what's really nice for me now in this space is it, it accentuates the patient experience. It gives a, a phenomenal tool and weapon to practitioners, but the other great part is all of the groups I've worked with, whether it's buying groups or hearing and manufacturers or practice owners, it works fantastic for me to work in concert and collaborate with all of them to make this happen. Yeah. Right. So I think that's, that's phenomenal for me. It's, you know, it's not about having to pick sides. I think all of us want the same thing. We're all Mm -hmm. trying to make sure that we arm the practices and Oh, by the way, provide some additional benefits to the hearing and manufacturers along the way. And I'm just excited that we have such committed investors and, and, and a, t- a committed team that, you know, we can gain from what was built before us to finally bring it to the market in a way that can truly become the next best practice standard of care. So really appreciate the time and uh, look forward to listening to your continuing episodes. Appreciate what <laughs> you're doing, Dave. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end, and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. 
Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.